Welcome to episode 73. I'm your host, Josh Lyons. You just heard the song Journey to the Center of the Earth by Bad Business. And today I'm actually interviewing my favorite Rochester hardcore band, Bad Business. Um, when I was kind of prepping for this, I was thinking it's kind of funny because none of them are actually from here, but they, they still are, are like a beloved Rochester hardcore band. So I'm sure we'll talk about how that all came together. Um, but yeah, this is Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. As always, give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at Podcast Hardcore. Thank you to everyone who's been supporting on Patreon so far. Uh, as always, it's Enterprise Hardcore Podcast on Patreon. Uh, tiers start at a dollar per month. I'm going to have all sorts of incentives coming real soon. Um, there's some live episodes coming out this summer, so that should be really fun. Uh, I got a bunch of upcoming episodes. Uh, just keep your eyes on the, the social media for all that. Uh, there's a bunch of upcoming shows in Buffalo and Syracuse, and also April 23rd at the Bug Jar. Uh, Undeath has a record release and Deal with God's opening, so try to check that out. Uh, so yeah, like I said, this is episode 73. Uh, for me, this has been a long time coming. This is pretty much why I started doing this podcast. Uh, this band and like people like Greg Benoit, who've been archiving a uh, history of bands like this, uh, this was a very special time for a lot of us, so it's been really fun catching up with people. And today I'm really excited to catch up with these guys. So I'm going to be talking with uh, Dan Brest, Brandon Carmo, Jeff Walter, and Sean Creedon, all from the band Bad Business. Uh, we'll start with Sean first. How's everything going for you today, man? Yeah, things are going really beautiful. I am looking out my window at a squirrel that was just looking back at me for a second, feeling very blessed, feeling really good. I live out here in Portland, Oregon right now, and uh, spring is sprung, and uh, we're starting to see more sunshine, so it feels really, really good. Yeah, things have definitely been been looking up with, with that front. Um, and and then next we got Jeff. How are you doing today, Jeff? Hey, man. Uh, I'm doing great. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us onto the podcast and uh, and wanting to talk to us. Um, yeah, this was an amazing, fun time in our lives, and um, and it is really fun just to get to talk about it like this. So appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt, man. Next up, we got uh, the one member who still does reside in Rochester. We got Brandon Carmo. How are you doing today, Brandon? Good. How are you doing, Josh? Thanks for having us, man. I've uh, been checking out a bunch of these episodes you've been putting up, and it's, uh, I like what you're doing here. Thanks, man. Yeah, and like, I, like you and I were saying before, I know you and I caught up, as, kind of bumped into each other randomly a few times in town uh, a few years back. We'll have to make it more of a, a common occasion, you know what I mean, in the future. So, um, and then lastly, uh, but definitely not least, uh, we got Dan Brest. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm good, man, Josh. It's so great to connect with you and with Jeff and Brandon and Sean. Um, this time, you know, I don't know what it felt like for everyone else. I'm sure everyone in their early 20s, it feels like a special, urgent time. Um, but when we, when we reconnected recently, me and Brandon and Jeff um, and Sean, it was just so cool to like, talk to those guys again and remember some of the stories from um yeah when we did this band together and we're going to shows in rochester it was super fun yeah I, like i said i wholeheartedly agree about all that and and one thing that's come up in conversation a lot in these episodes that i think you guys will all agree on is is especially looking back to our early 20s like the time period that that you guys existed as a band was what maybe like four years but like at that time period that seemed like so much longer like now like the, this age like four years feels like like the blink of an eye you know what i mean like just like like looking at brandon and thinking about like him and i not having seen each other and we live in the same city like like within like five or six years and that seems like not it seems like a couple of months it doesn't seem like five or six years you know what i mean it's just crazy how how time flies you know what i mean so um 
But yeah, usually with the podcast, I like to kind of start from the beginning and get everybody's backgrounds. But obviously, being that there's four of you guys today, we're probably not going to do that. Um, what I think will be kind of cool, and I'm also going to preface this by saying, like, I might just kind of be a fly on the wall in, in large parts of this conversation, too, and just kind of let you guys take the thrones whenever you want. Um, but with that being said, I think we should start with like 99, 2000 era, because I feel like that's when you guys all kind of came to RIT. Um, I know Jeff had already kind of been playing in bands around that era. So um, actually, I guess I'll start with you, Jeff, because I know you played in like set in motion and stuff like that. So let's kind of start with you and, and kind of connecting with these guys, too. You know what I mean? OK, yeah, I'll take it, um, you know, sort of sort of light at first, because uh, I think uh, there are some things that I can talk about just sort of with the Syracuse Rochester connection. So if at any point people want to start to, you know, go in a little bit deeper on that and sort of what was going on during that time, I'm happy to talk about it. But um, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, I was living in Syracuse. I'd been there, you know, for pretty much my um, growing up years, you know, from like 10 years old on. And, um, you know, I decided to go to RIT, uh, you know, just to do stuff with computer programming or whatever. And, um, you know, and I had long grown up uh, sort of in the punk and hardcore tradition. So, you know, from, you know, the time, you know, I was really young, like, um, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, as soon as like the fifth grade, like, like the second I heard Metallica, you know, like everything changed for me, like, you know, heavy metal was sort of like the, the thing that got you into it. And from there, it just expanded, you know, because Metallica was covering you know, misfits and stuff. And so you're just, you're just going down all of those different roads, all those different veins of music. And, you know, the heavier, the better, or whatever, the faster, the better. And, uh, you know, so that leads straight into punk rock. And, um, you know, so I really got the skateboarding culture and all that. So, you know, all of my friends. And then at the same time, you know, Syracuse Hardcore was just going on at that time. So it was like inescapable if you were into counterculture, like, you know, punk rock music, like it was there. So, you know, so I was fully, you know, into that scene. and. Um, you know, but I, I identified more of as like a punk kid. Um, and so, uh, you know, so right at the end of high school, you know, I, I had had like some high school bands and stuff just playing like punk rock with with friends and buddies of mine who I went to high school with. But, um, you know, I went to the same high school as like Grant Johnson and Jim Heffernan and those guys. And we were all friends and they were doing, you know, these bands that I would go and see and, and we were friends. And it was sort of like right before I was getting ready to go to college, sort of that last that last year, you know, probably my senior year in high school that they asked me to be in set in motion. And, you know, it, it was just like supernatural because I had already like played a little bit of music with Jim. You know, these guys weren't totally unfamiliar to me, but. Um, you know, but it was a huge step up for me because I had just been playing stuff with my friends, uh, you know, in, in high school, like people who are in the same grade as me and younger or whatever. And so. So, yeah, so that was amazing. And so that was like instantly I'm like going on weekends, you know, driving up to Vermont, you know, going places, uh, you know, to play shows and you start meeting people who are in other bands. Um, and uh, and so that was that was just like really started me on that trajectory of just being like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. This is the stuff I like doing. And uh, and then I ended up, you know, at RIT and that, you know, that band ended. It was it was pretty short lived, you know, probably about a year that I was doing that. And uh, and I had met some Rochester people from those days. And it was so funny. It was like 
you know, I got into college and I didn't really know that many people like, like I knew some of those Rochester people, but I wasn't connecting with them. Again, this is sort of like early internet days. People are not walking around with cell phones. You know, it wasn't easy to grab someone's contact. And so, you know, I get to college and I'm just trying to orient myself in college. And it was like the first week of school. I didn't know that many people at the school and I'm walking by the student union and I see John 25 and I recognize him because, because we had met. And so he saw me sort of pointed at me. He was like, Hey, you know, like, I know you, you know, and we just sort of like talked for a minute and whatever. And it was like that first conversation, literally the first conversation I had with him at school, he was like, Hey man, do you want to be in a band? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, I, I, sure, sure. Uh, you know, like, it, you know, he explained what it was or whatever. And this was, uh, you know, this would have been Z-Donks, you know, at the time. And uh, that's, a, that's a dumb name we had for head on. Uh, but yeah, and, and so I was, you know, immediately in because it was all in the same vein. Uh, and so, so yeah, so that's how I sort of like got into that. And, um, and then it was later that, that I, you know, very soon after that, that I met Dan and Brandon and Sean, because it was, you know, all of this stuff was connected. So people who are going to the hardcore shows and everything, you know, they found, they probably found out the way I remember it is they found out that I was playing in this band with John and them. And, you know, they had met John because again, just like, you know, he was sort of connected with people um, who were living at the school and, and knew people from the school. And so they just came and found me. I think one day they were just like, I remember like being in my dorm room and them just like showing up and being like, Hey, what's up? <laughs> You know, and just all of a sudden you're just friends and you're hanging out. Um, and, you know, and then, of course, we were all going to shows and stuff. So it was like it was all supernatural um, and easy. Yeah. And obviously we could probably do full episodes on all your previous bands. I mean, I had Jeff Jeff Asbrand on recently and we barely even scratched the surface on head on, too, because, again, he's been in other bands, too. Um, but all this time was leading up. I mean, that's, that's around the time when I met all you guys too, it was like 99, 2000. And I remember like, I don't, I don't know if it was like specific shows or bands that kind of all brought us together. Like, obviously like for me, like Sandfast was pretty influential locally. And then I know we all kind of collectively started liking like more of like the bridge nine, like American nightmare. I know a bunch of us like went to like shows like that together and stuff like that. So like, at what point did you guys kind of like start planting the seed of like, like maybe we should do like a band together type thing. So the, the lineage that I, I, that's in my head is kind of adding to what Jeff was saying. We all moved to Rochester in September 1999 to go to RIT and none of us knew each other. And I don't know if any of us really knew anybody there. Like Jeff probably had the most friends, but I know I moved there as a 17 year old kid and I knew nobody. I moved to RIT to study computer science. And like Jeff said, like I was into hardcore punk back in Maryland. And the first Friday night that I was in Rochester, I was sitting in my dorm alone and it was my 18th birthday. And I remember just thinking, oh, it's my 18th birthday. I'm in college. It's going to be, I'm going to be going to raging parties. I'm going to have all these friends. It's going to be great. But <laughs> instead I'm sitting in my dorm room alone, playing Quake on my computer, just thinking like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And I've got my door open, just praying somebody's going to like come in and talk to me. And all of a sudden, my RA, Barb Lemaire, walks down the floor uh, and goes, hey, my boyfriend and a bunch of his friends are going bowling. You want to come? And I just jump up and I'm like, yes, 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 I want to go. And her boyfriend is 
at the time is John 25 and we go bowling in Henrietta and Rory's there, Licky's there, Brian's there, Matt Chud's there, Sean Chud's there, Brandon is there, Jeff is there. Sean was either at that bowling night or like one of the very um, like short follow on ones. So that's how I met Brandon and Jeff and Sean. Um, and so that's like, that's like literally my first week on my 18th birthday, 1999, I meet all those guys and we become like fast friends. We're going to like, Bain was enormous to us back then. Um, so I remember going to so many Bain shows. Um, and then, so my memory of how bad business started was fast forward two years. It's like the fall of 2001 and Rochester hardcore was like really big. There were tons of shows, but like hardcore in general just felt really, really big. Like American Nightmare is like the biggest hardcore band. Um, Bane is huge. Like American Nightmare had put out background music that year. Bane had put out Give Blood that year. Carry On had put out It All Comes Down uh, or um, Lifeless Plague. Um, and you booked that Bane show at the bug jar with the disaster break of dawn in pieces and problem solver revolver. I got the flyer right in front of me. And I remember going to that show and like seeing the disaster play, seeing break of dawn play, seeing in pieces play. And I was just like, why, why aren't, why am I not in a band? Why? Like I could do this. I know Josh, I know John, I know people. Um, why am I not in a band? And at the time I was living with Jeff and Brandon and the three of us went to Olive Garden. I don't know why we went there, but we went to Olive Garden. My memory is we went to Olive Garden right after this show. And we're just sitting there. And I'm, I bring this up. I'm like, why aren't we in a band together? Jeff plays drums. He's a great drummer. Brandon plays bass. He's a great bass player. I play guitar. Um, and at the time, we were all straight edge. And we're like, we should be in a straight edge hardcore band. And of course, we're going to have Sean be our singer. Um, so this was December 8th, 2001, um, or like that week. And we go and we go and ask Sean and Sean kind of has a memory of that event, which it has is a loss to me, but Sean, you want to talk about what that was like when we came and talked to you about it? Oh yeah. Well, I remember, I mean, maybe it was at my house with Lauren Seeky on Laburnum Crescent and, uh, or maybe it was somewhere else, but remember they came over and they were like, they're like, Oh, Hey. Sean, we've, uh, we've got this idea. We want to start uh, a hardcore band. It's going to be like fast and it's going to be like weird and moshy and good. And, uh, and we're thinking about calling it bad business. What do you think? And I didn't, it didn't like compute to me that they were asking me to sing. I thought that they were just like describing. And I was like, oh, that sounds fucking awesome. That sounds so sick. I will be there. Uh, and then like, there was like kind of like, just, like an awkward moment. And then someone was like, we want you to do vocals. And I was like, oh shit. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Fucking lutely. But there was like this moment in my mind where I was like, oh, I want in on this. What do you, <laughs> come on. Uh, so that was my memory about it. And I was really psyched. And then we practiced in the basement of that house for a long time, which was really fun. Well, well we didn't, pra we practiced in there for a long time, but what's, what's, what blows my mind is that Bane shows December 8th, 2001. We talked to Sean we like basically incept the idea of this band that week. And then we start practicing in Sean's, Sean and Lauren's basement. Uh, Jeff and Brandon and I are living together and we're like, kind of like 
coming up with riffs and stuff on the couch in our living room. We write the six songs that are the demo. We go to Syracuse to record them with Jocko in like late January, early February. And then by February 16th, we've practiced. We are a band now. We've written and recorded six songs and we've like produced, we've manufactured the demo tapes and CDs all ourselves. Like we screen printed, Sean and I screen printed the CD like faces in a screen printing class that we took together. Like we did all that from December 8th, 2001 to February 16th, 2002. And that blows my mind. I I was listening to this podcast recently with Van Neistat where he says, your 20s is when you should find your passion in life because you'll never have that kind of energy ever again in your life. And I think about, we were full-time students, like studying hard shit. And in- Different shit, different shit. Yeah, three different, different wildly different stuff. We all came from different backgrounds, didn't know each other at all. And from December 8th, 2001 to February 16th, 2002, two months, we wrote six songs, we started practicing, we recorded them, we put them out, and then we played a show. And if you told me, if you asked me to do that now, I'd be like, uh, uh, yeah, that's not possible. You can't do that. That's not possible. You can't do that. Um, and so that's what I remember about that. Like looking back on it, that just blows my mind. Um, and it just felt so urgent. It felt like this was the most important thing to me. I don't know how I graduated college because um, I was just so focused on like, we are a band. We're going to come out with this product. We're going to come out with this demo that is like fully formed. And we're going to like kind of introduce ourselves as this like rehearsed, ready to go thing. Um, and that brought us to the first show in February 2002, A Striking Distance and Brace, which was. Awesome. That was a great. That was uh, in the basement. It was supposed to be at Riverton Community Center, but for some reason, I got moved that week to the Berkshire basement. Um, I want to do a quick sidebar backtrack, um, just because I know I'm not going to remember otherwise. It's a piece of trivia that's uh, pertinent to a a really classic Rochester hardcore show. You mentioned Carry On, Dan, and that that show's come up on here a lot over the years or over the episodes that I booked that that I've done here that that show that I booked in October of 2001 with Carry On. And what's funny is. You actually told me to, to, to hit up Matt Pike to book that. You were like, yo, Carry On's going on tour with like Reach the Sky and Kill Your Idols. You should send Matt Pike a message and, and he asked him if you can book it in Rochester. And so I did. And he was like, I don't know how you knew that. Like, that's really cool. It's not those bands. It's Carry On and, and Hope Conspiracy and some other bands, but you can have a date in Rochester. And like, I don't know if I would have known about that if you wouldn't have told me about it before or whatever. And that's like, literally like, if you look at like all the uh, flyers people post and stuff, like people still talk about that show like to this day, you know what I mean? So it's pretty yeah. cool that. Yeah. I, I don't remember telling you about that, but I remember like, I, this is the point in my life when I was the most excited about hardcore and felt like I had a seat at the table to be involved in it. And Rochester just always felt welcoming. Um, like Rory and John, I feel like have a lot to, um, I owe them so much credit for like, and you for like creating this atmosphere where it felt like everyone, at least I felt like I had a seat at the table. And I feel like Josh, you and I, this was like when our friendship was probably the closest. So I could like tell you that stuff. And I remember making the flyer for that show. The show is Thursday, the band, Hope Conspiracy, Every Time I Die, Carry On, Death Threat, and No Warning. Fucking No Warning opened that show. Um, and this is 2001. Like they are on the precipice of like 
being huge and getting signed to a major label. And that show happened at Brighton Town Park in a fucking cabin in the woods. Yeah. Um, Thursday headlined that show. Um, it's just crazy. So all that was happening and that was like fueling my energy and passion and excitement. And I remember watching that kind of from the sidelines and just being like, this isn't enough. We need to like be a part of this. Um, and that fueled me so much. And it's cool that you mentioned like the whole seat at the table thing. Cause like, I, I feel like during the whole formation of the band, like, like you brought that flyer over to my apartment when you made it, the, the one you were just holding up there that people won't see, but I'll post it with the episode. And like, there are there's so many other conversations we would have. And like, I feel like you were telling me like about the band as it was forming. And I was like, man, this like exactly what Sean said. I was like, holy shit, man, this is really cool. And I was just so excited just to be like a small part of it with like booking the shows. And like one thing that you haven't mentioned yet is that there was a, like a little, a little warm up show. I don't know if you guys had planned this in advance or if like it was because What Feeds the Fire was late to that show, but I booked like an Ensign show at the Bug Jar. And, and I don't know if the Disaster was playing too. Um, I have the, that flyer somewhere too. But either way, long story short, you guys ended up opening that as like a warm up show like a week before the uh, Striking Distance show too. And just, just seeing you guys play those first couple songs that week, it was like, man, this is going to be, this is going to be fucking fun. And it was, you know? <laughs> Yeah, my memory of that was that it was not planned. I think I think the disaster must have been planned. So Jeff had his kit and everything ready to go. And I think Brandon and I were there because Brandon kind of knew the what feeds the fire guys from New England. And Sean lived right down the street. And I think we just like ran to his house and we're like, hey, we can open the show right now. And it's just crazy to think that Sean was even home, you know? And again, there's no cell phones back then. There's no text messaging back then that we had access to. So it was literally running down to Sean's house on Laburnum Crescent, like a quarter mile from the bug jar and being like, we're packing up our gear. We're going to open the show. Let's go now. And Sean was like, okay. And then we went and, and did that. And, and my memory was, it was because what feeds the fire was late. And like, we were just stalling for time. Um, yeah, no, that does sound right. And, and oddly enough, I think they were late both times I booked them, which, you know, it's not like a shot at them or anything. It's probably just a weird coincidence or whatever that they were, there's like van issues or whatever. Maybe I didn't realize Rochester was as far, you know, from Syracuse or whatever. I don't know. But um, so no, but getting back to that, to that striking distance show, that's another one. Like, I don't, I don't know if you know offhand, Dan, how many flyers you actually designed, but like, that's something I kind of want to post like with this episode is all the flyers that you drew, because like you had some really like original, cool fucking style. And you were, you drew like for me alone, like at least four or five flyers. Like I had forgotten about that Bane one. Like, I know you drew the vitamin X one, which we'll skip ahead to in a little bit. Um, but you drew a really, a really dope one for this striking distance one that I have the, the colorized version of. Um, so, um, but yeah, the, the, that was like your guys' first official show. Um, like I said, I don't remember why it got moved from the community center to, to Berkshire, but luckily we knew people that were there um, and they, they let us have it there, obviously, you know. So what are you guys, let's, let's kind of take it back to that show, I guess. Brandon, I feel like we haven't heard from you at all. You want to... Uh, uh, jump in with your memories from uh, these these first couple shows. Yeah, um, that's it, pretty funny, I guess. Like, I was thinking how uh, I'd almost want to take our origin back a little bit further. Well, I guess mine. Like, you know, I grew up in New Bedford, Mass, and I knew some Rhode Island people from Providence and stuff. So, like, I knew this guy Tim Hiles, and um, that's I heard he was going to be in Rochester when I got out here because he was hanging out with Barb and. Uh, so I had gone to go find him hanging out with Barb, and that's how I then met Dan. That's how I ended up with Um, And then 
another thick detail that I feel like Dan forgot about the, the Olive Garden trip is that for some reason we were in like dress clothes. So I don't know if we had come from that show. I feel like, I don't know if I had like a job interview that day, but I remember we were in business clothes. So that's why we were like, we look like we're like a bunch of shitty businessmen. And that's why, like, I, that's what I remember is where bad business came from. Like, do you guys remember that at all? Or. I know I- you came up with bad business. You said those words. And I was like, that's the name. And you mentioned the suits and that like tickles a vague memory. But I just more remember like being in Olive Garden and eating like breadsticks, unlimited breadsticks and salad or whatever their fucking promotion was. I yeah. remember that specifically. And I don't know, maybe I have a brain bleed. Maybe I don't remember this stuff properly or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, we pra- like, I, I actually wasn't living with you. I, so what was it? 2001, I came back to Rochester, like fall 2001. And I was your couch guy for a couple of months because like I was supposed to, I had left RIT, I'd gone back to school in Mass and I came back to Rochester. And um, I was just like trying to figure out what I was going to do with myself because like I hadn't re-registered classes yet. So I was just like chilling on your couch and like I had like a job at like Target overnight or something like that for a little bit. And then um, I got a different job, like worked in an office. So I finally got an apartment over on like University and Oliver Street. And that's where I, we, I, that's where I feel like we wrote a lot of those first bad business songs was in that apartment because it, it was just all I had was like a one room studio and um, I'd like a room, a kitchen hallway and a bathroom. That was like where I was living in. So you would just come over and we'd just play write songs in there. And that's like before we ever even practiced like all together, I feel like that's where we were writing songs. I think that's what really helped us get that demo out as quickly as we did. But um. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like a lot of those first shows, like, I'm trying to think of that striking distance show, because I, I loved that show. That was a good show. And um, it was really cool playing with those guys. I still love that CD. Yeah, that's a really good full length. Uh, uh, Dan actually sent us a, a list of all the shows before the interview. So there's another really classic show we'll talk about really soon with uh, striking distance on it, too. Um, but Sean, I'm curious, too, because I'm guessing you probably hadn't really like done vocals for a band before. Like, was it challenging for you, like writing lyrics and like recording like an actual demo and shit? Cause like, I've heard like just all sorts of interviews and shit where people talk about like having to be in like certain shape for like vocals and shit. And I know if like I were to try and sing for a band right now, I would like not be able to pull it off, you know? So like, what were the, what were the major challenges, I guess? Uh, yeah, it was very challenging, uh, in that I had never done written much, uh, poetry or written lyrics, uh, all that much. Um, I was in a, uh, to try to like hone some of these skills. I took a, a pretty awesome poetry class at RIT, which was really good. Uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't really have any understanding. I wouldn't come to something like karaoke until much later in my life. So like, uh, knowing what to do with this instrument in my body. I didn't really have much of an idea, but I had been going to shows for a long time. I've done my fair share of screaming in the garage, uh, you know, uh, channeling a lot of that youthful angst and rage. Uh, I had done that. And, um, but uh, yeah, writing the lyrics was really challenging. And then uh, trying to find what my, like what the, timber or or the the tonality of my voice wanted to be uh was a process that honestly i feel like is still progressing now and 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 this moment with bad business was very much like uh 
like an, an initiatory birthing stage of that. Um, like I, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not like uh, the tough guy character, you know, like I'm, I, there's like something else. And, you know, looking back now, I can recognize like, oh yeah, I was like a very out of step little queerdo who like, didn't know exactly how to fit and was feeling like a, back to what Dan had mentioned too about Rochester feeling really uh, welcoming. Uh, you know, I was coming from uh, like Brandon, uh, maybe a slightly different sort of scene, but in New England, in Boston, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, uh, New Hampshire, where I was a participant uh, in these, in this world, like mostly through photography. Uh, I was always on stage taking photographs. I was like very much, in it photos in in uh album art and seven inches and stuff like that but you know i didn't feel like a lot of the people around me were like necessarily friends or or like i didn't feel kind of like more deeply enmeshed in the in the uh, scene as much um then arriving at rochester and feeling really supported feeling really encouraged i mean i also had a lot of kind of like imposter syndrome that i had to um overcome playing with such accomplished musicians uh, as as these three were even at that young age like uh it was really astounding and i would try to be like oh what if the part went like this and i'd just be like making noises and dan would be like yeah that's not like a chord or something or like what is that that you're saying and uh so uh yeah just trying to overcome my own procrastination i mean i was writing lyrics in the in the recording room with everyone on the other side of the door like okay we're gonna hit record now and i was like okay here goes like it was again this thing that i've come to realize is sort of like the divine timing with which any of my art happens it happens at the moment that it needs to happen and uh uh but then much later i i did come up with a better process uh using a typewriter and some other things to help me uh, work my lyrics around it felt better especially on that seven inch I uh, feel like it really hit some sort of groove there, and then, you know. And what? And I guess kind of sticking with like the what, like challenging questions, like how about like playing like your first couple live shows? Like, like sometimes, like when I get ready to do an interview, like I get really nervous, like to interview people. Like, like being one hundred percent honest, like I wasn't really super nervous about doing this one, but there have been some where I'm like talking to my girlfriend before, like, man, for some reason I'm just like super nervous today. Like, what were your feelings like? Like, like having being like your first time, like being a vocalist like at like a, like hardcore shows you know what i mean oh yeah this was my first time like performing in any kind of capacity like this whatsoever um i had played the role of jesus christ in like my church you know some church production of the the uh you know the crucifixion or whatever and that was a terrifying nightmare but uh i remember that show at the bug jar uh that again that kind of divine timing like okay we're doing this right now get in the van. And I was like, all right, let's do this. Uh, and I knew that I wanted to just fully unleash whatever energy I had. And I felt like I accomplished that. And then uh, a lot of the sort of anxious feelings came out right immediately afterwards, where I was just like, my body was just fully on blast. And I stumbled out the back, the back door of the bug jar and just like collapsed on the cold concrete uh, outside the bug jar in the back alley and just like puked my guts out. And then I remember my philosophy teacher, this kind of like older dude with like a, like a white skullet kind of like strolling by with like a vest. And he just like looked at me and I was like, 
I was like, hey, how's it going? I was like, it was so funny again, being like, in a, being like a, a completely sober, straight edge moment and just be like barfing outside of a, the bar. Uh, it was to my, in front of my philosophy professor it was just very poetic uh, moment. Yeah, it's crazy. Cause I do remember like other vocalists, like Ben Cook from No Warning used to throw up on stage all the time. And like, I don't think I was drinking at the time, but like at your guys' last show, like I definitely got a little winded. And there was a couple of shows around that era where I, I'm, I puked outside Montage like three or four times and not very many of them was from drinking. It was just like not probably not in very good shape and slow down, but it was your guys' last show as we'll get to later. You know what I mean? So, um, and then one other piece of trivia that I hope you're not, I hope you're cool with me mentioning in here, Sean, is that when you talk about the photography thing, I remember rolling down uh 10, 17, 99 to Boston for that last 10 yard fight show. And you're uh, prominently featured in that video on stage uh, doing your uh, uh, photography magic. So um, I'm sure people across the globe have seen that video too. So that's pretty cool, you know, <laughs> but well, I guess we'll stick to the early shows, um, kind of sticking with the, the, the dope Dan flyer theme, the, uh, one that I've talked about recently, cause it, we came up on 20 years of the anniversary of it was that vitamin X, uh, show at, uh, uh, Brighton town park in, uh, 2002. Um, I didn't realize you, this was, there was no shows in between. Cause I'm looking at right now, I'm looking at the, the list of shows that Dan gave us all. And it looks like that was the next show. That was the third show. I guess I assume you guys had played like another show in between for some reason or whatever. That's what I would have thought. Like that Vitamin X show, I remember it being a big deal. I know Brandon and I were listening to the Vitamin X out, like their album came out around that time. And I remember being like really into that and really stoked for that show. I would have thought that would have been like further into the catalog, but that's the third show. Um, <laughs> I just remember being fucking stoked about that. I remember being so stoked to to play with vitamin x i thought it was so cool that this band was coming from europe and i remember hearing about how when american bands went to europe they were kind of treated like royalty and fed and given places to stay and we didn't do any of that but i, I remember feeling like i want this show to be fun i want to make a cool flyer for it i want to like i want our band to play as best as we can and like um yeah i want it to be awesome i want it to be something that like we all remember I mean, those guys played here a few times. So, yeah, I don't know if we ever fed them any of the times, but they must have at least like coming here and stuff, you know? So <laughs> I never thought about that aspect, though. It is a good point that they, they, do, they do the whole treatment. We should try to give it back to them. Like that was, but that was one thing for me, though, like with booking shows, like anytime, and it wasn't often, it was only like three or four times. But whenever I had a chance to book like a European band or like a foreign band, I would always jump at it just because like, I don't know how often those bands were coming over here back then. It seems like it's more often now, but back then it seemed like it was, like pretty cool to have like any any european band come over you know so um now there's a couple there's a couple penny arcade shows coming up um i'm not sure when you guys started kind of working on the seven inch but the there's these two shows coming up that are on this list of shows that are uh very important on my catalog of shows that i booked and you guys happen to play both of them the uh we talked about striking distance earlier it was, it was a tour package with them for the first one it was american nightmare striking distance uh, Death Threat, you guys, and I think Miles Between Us uh, came down for it too, uh, which I guess that's another good band to uh, talk about at some point too. With, you know, I'm sure there's a connection there with you guys and them, because um, then they ended up playing that other show too. With it was Bane, What Feeds the Fire, The Disaster, you guys. I want to say maybe Embrace Today was on that show too. I don't, I don't have the flyer for that one offhand, but um, at this point, it seems like you guys had kind of picked up a little bit of steam and had the ball rolling and, and it was more than just myself and John and, and a couple other local people that knew about you guys, you know what I mean? So 
like what what was it like for you guys like you guys did you guys notice like picking up more of like a following and was that kind of like like dan i know you talked about like having a seat at the table like now that you actually like were in a band and, and like like playing shows with like bands like that like what was the feeling like for you i guess you know looking back all i can say it's hard to remember what it felt like at the time i just felt like we put in the work and we had the connections through either you or john 25 or hex in syracuse or like nick Barron in buffalo that we could we like we had a seat at the table to play these shows and we yeah we just had the opportunity to play them and looking back I'm just so grateful that like when I think about Bane, Striking Distance, American Nightmare, Suicide File, those were like, those are, I think, at least to me, the like defining hardcore bands of that era, at least kind of on the East Coast. And the fact that we got to play with all of them, and some of them were like at the Westcott um, or like in, a, in, in that park, like we, we got to play these like small shows or it's tiny club shows. Um, I just look back and I, I feel so proud to have been a part of that. I know our band is not on the same caliber as those, but to like be a part of it um, is so cool. And um, yeah, I just, I just remember thinking it's, it's, it, it was cool to be included um, and cool to open up those shows and cool. Now looking back 20 years later that, that we were there and that we did it and that, people might remember our band as like part of that experience. That time is, is really cool to me. And, and Jeff, like has kind of bringing you back in, like playing in the disaster and doing all the other stuff you were doing, like how, like Dan was talking about, like having trouble with keeping up with school. Well, not having trouble, but just looking back on it now and wondering how he kept it all together. Like what was going on for you at this point now? Like how, like, was it hard to keep track of doing all this stuff? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was it was such a wild time because I at that time was, you know, obviously, you know, head on went straight into the disaster. Um, and that was sort of like my main thing. But at the same time, Hidea was happening and bad business was happening. I was in three bands at the same time that had, you know, some following. Now Hidea did not play really out that much. We played mostly in the region. Um, you know, I think the farthest we ever made it was like Syracuse. I mean, it was really just, it was hyper local, but you know, that's, we put time into practicing, um, with that band and this band and the disaster. So, you know, my entire life was just school and practicing and going to shows. And that's like, that's really all it was. Um, and I loved it every second of it. It was just like, I knew that, you know, what was happening there was super special and awesome. And, you know, I was very happy to be a part of it. And, um, but yeah, like we, you know, we were just, you know, it was, it was amazing. I think the only way it worked is because we all went to school together. I mean, you know, like I had this, you know, these sort of different buckets of life, you know, that you had, you know, so the weekends were spent with a lot of time with like disaster and stuff, you know, because, you know, those guys lived a little bit further away. They didn't live on campus with me. So we'd have to get together for practices and hangouts and whatever. But with Dan Brandon and Sean, it was just, we were just there. And so that was the, my sort of main unit of friendship. Um, and that made that band really possible. And I'll chime in here about Jeff because Jeff and I were roommates for five years and I got this unique perspective. Jeff is one of the hardest working people I know. 
Jeff and I both studied computer science at RIT and we were both in bands and we lived together for five years. There were so many nights when Jeff would be working on a school project or art for one of the bands till way, way, way late in the evening um, or early mornings. And like none of what he did would have been possible if it weren't for like putting in tons of hours and tons of work. And that's something I like don't have at all. I'm fucking lazy. And so I was always blown away by Jeff's work ethic. And um, he couldn't have done three bands and graduate college and then eventually go on and have a job and all that stuff if he wasn't putting in like the work in all of those departments. Yeah, no, that's a lot. Like I said, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't be able to do that now. I don't even think I would have been able to do it then. I mean, I think back to doing all the, the crap that we were doing though. And it's like, it's just, I think we talked about it before, like that youthful energy, you know, it's just things are a lot different than you can, you can manage a lot more. Now around this time though, like, were you guys starting to like establish like, like friendships with like other bands and like, like trying to do like, like other shows with like, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like regional bands, like stuff like that. It's weird. Like we, I feel like we always had our like alliances with people and would go places and, uh, you know, we'd try and do, you know, we'd try and go, I feel like we'd try and go out or hang out with the disaster. We got to play with miles between us a bunch of times. Um, mm. That was really cool. I mean, I still try. I haven't kept. I've lost touch with Matt LaForge, but I was doing pretty good there for a while, seeing him at least once a year for a bit. But um, I don't know. I felt like we would often like tour around when we'd go on like our little weekend tours or our uh, week long tours and like spring break or whatever. It always seemed like it was mostly just us would like kind of meet up with whoever we we're meeting, you know, at the venues and stuff. So we were pretty open to just go wherever and meet whoever we could meet along the way. Yeah, you mentioned not talking to Matt LaForge in a while. I haven't talked to that dude in years, but I, I was telling Dan last night, I think I'm going to do uh, something similar with those guys soon, uh, an interview with those guys for the podcast. So that'll be uh, real fun catching up with all those dudes. Now, I think I'm guessing around this time, because it's hard to, to remember now with like, seven just take a lot longer now, obviously, than they did then. But I'm guessing around this time, like fall-ish of 2002 is when you guys started working on the seven inch. I think right after the demo, we're just like constantly writing. And my memory is that by the fall, we had, there's like a demo, there's like a, a second demo that we did, a, like a three song CD that had some of the songs that would be on the seven inch. And we were like giving those out to people. And I think in 2002, I was in Maryland for a while doing an internship and um, I was I was friends with Alex DiMatessa, who was from Maryland and, and did Grave Mistake Records. And I think I gave him one and he liked the original demo and he liked that. And he's like, well, yeah, if you guys want to do a seven inch on Grave Mistake, like I'll put it out. And we were super excited about that. I, I know, I, at least I was, I looked up under Alex and I thought the label was cool then. And it like, we were the third release, like it was in its infancy at that point. Um. And so, yeah, we like kind of had his support, I guess. And then I think we went into the studio um, in like February of 2003 to actually record the seven inch. That's my memory. I don't have it in front of me, so I can't look at the credits, but I think that we went into the studio February, 2003 um, with, Jake and um, Dave Drago. Dave Drago. Thanks, Jeff. And then recorded eight songs that six went on the seven inch. 
and uh, two were on the Bridging Oceans comp that Nick Barron did. And we just recorded all eight, eight songs in a weekend, which again, in hindsight, sounds like crazy to do. Um, but yeah, we did that. And then like Jeff drew the cover art for it. Oh, Brandon's got it. Jeff drew the cover art. And like we, we like did, we put it like Sean painted the, the credits for the back cover in a warehouse in like West Rochester. Um, and we like found a print shop in Rochester to print it. And like, we put it all together ourselves. Like, I, I don't know. I think it's cool, especially like nowadays to talk to people and they're like, you were in a band, you booked shows, you put out records. Like, how do you do these things? And I don't even know how to explain it, but like somehow we found a way to do it. And again, this is like pre the internet that we know today and pre cell phones. Like I walked down Monroe Avenue and saw that there was an offset print place. And I walked in and was like, Hey, can you print this? And they did a terrible job and didn't. And so we didn't go there. And I found another place that did printing in Rochester and like walked in and gave them the files on a CD. And they were like, yeah, we can do this for you. And, and that we just figured that out is, and like, none of us were graphic designers. None of us were print majors. We just kind of figured it out. I'd ask John some questions and he would like give me some pointers and we figured out a way to do it. And, um, and then we sold the seven inches like really quickly. We sold a thousand seven inches in a year. Um, it was just wild. I don't know. Um, it was really cool. Really, really cool. It was the first time I'd ever played on a record. My first time ever recording. Um, and it was really cool. To, to, build, to build a little bit on that too, I think that that, uh, that spirit of like, <clears throat> DIY was is obviously very strong what we're talking about here and and resourcefulness and self-sufficiency uh our earnestness I mean I know for myself like I'm a really earnest person who like when we when bad business rolls into town like here we are like we are we're nice people who are like here to have a good time and encourage people and build community too like that kind of organic community building uh aspect of things where uh it wasn't it was not so transactional, uh, but very much, you know, like uh, supportive and, and being supported and, and doing it all ourselves and not uh, relying on, uh, you know, uh, corporate entities or, or these other kinds of structures within a society, very countercultural uh, of that time. And, um, and yeah, those were always things that really resonated and rang true with me. And I feel like harmonizing with three other people and others who are all on that same uh, wavelength um, is what made it possible for us to do that kind of stuff and, and to um, be inspired by those around us to also uh, strive and, and, and do it as well. Brandon, you had mentioned before you guys have an on like suits and stuff. And that takes me back to another one of my favorite shows that you guys played at that short lived space that we had on Lyle Lav. I'm not even sure what other bands play, but it was that Patty Prom, the first one they did. And it was that's the only time I've ever stage dive in like dress clothes, you know what I mean? So it was it was a lot of fun, man. You know what I mean? So um was it just as fun for you guys to play something like that or oh yeah, that was I mean, that's like probably one of the that's one of my favorite shows for sure. Um I mean that was a cool project between I feel like Sean was really like, you know, into doing uh 
you know, collaborative art projects at that time. And, you know, he was doing that in collaboration with a friend of his, um, Leslie, who was putting out, yeah, she was putting out that Patty magazine. And um, so it was like, you know, it was a good opportunity to help her get exposure or get the magazine out that way. And also it afforded us an ability to play and, you know, hang out with our friends in kind of a cool, weird way. I feel like cool, weird is, or it may just weird is pretty much the bad business way in general for the most part. Um, you know, with, with talking about all the DIY stuff before, I mean, you asked the question about friends and bands and going out on tour. Well, it's weird because all these great, all the great Rochester bands at that time were just like, I forget that sometimes that, that they were bands because they were just friends. It was just always hanging out with your friends, you know? And, um, you know, we, you know, we did all this DIY stuff as far as doing the printing and things like that, but we did have influences from, you know, John 25, who was a, you know, big guy printing all his, you know, he'd print a lot of his band stuff and do his graphic design. And I feel like just that general Rochester just had that general feeling of always kind of doing things yourself. And I guess our friendships are what really drove that. Um, but the Patty Prom was, that was a sick time. I feel like sometimes these shows were such a blast that like, I, I can't remember them sometimes. Like I just remember just like being excited the whole time that you're there while you're playing. It's just like a rush, you know? Yeah. That's, that's one that I definitely hadn't really thought of in a while, but then you mentioned that the, the getting dressed up made me think about it instantly. And I was like, man, that was a lot of fun. Like, and I didn't have, I, I have slightly more now, but I still, I'm not, I don't really get dressed up all that often. So I didn't have a lot of dress clothes back then. So it was like, I'm guessing my girlfriend at the time probably like picked something out or bought or had me buy something, but it, still it was like, anyways, so if I'm skipping over shows or moments that are important I'm, and, you know, let me know guys. And obviously one thing that I always say too, and Dan, you kind of referenced this earlier is I know we're going back like 20 years. So whenever like memories hasty or anything like that, I, you know, I totally get it obviously. So, um, cause otherwise than that, I'm just going through like, like, you know, favorite shows of mine that you guys played and like, you know, uh, but with that being said, another another thing that I'm thinking, too, of like relationships and Dan, you talking about like uh, that comp you did, like a, a band, I guess you guys would have built a friendship with by that by that time was like No Time Left, right? Yeah, I mean, I remember being obsessed with No Time Left. Um, yeah, I think I wear a lot of my influences on my sleeves. Like I bought that Gibson DePaul guitar because Eric Elman played a Gibson DePaul guitar and No Time Left. and um yeah i just remember going to those buffalo basement shows and seeing no time left and total fury and the oath and just being like oh my god this is so cool um the like diy ethic the like art component of it the just like fast chaotic urgent energy of those bands um and so, yeah, I looked up to Nick a ton. He did the record label and he booked shows. And, and so at that point, I guess I was just fearless or motivated to have our, you know, to make those connections. I'm not like an outgoing person, um, but I was either fearless or motivated enough to just go talk to like Nick Barron or um, Alex Kearns because um, I knew that they like did labels or book shows and would just strike up conversations and give them our record. And um, so, yeah, um, you know, I'm not going to say like Nick and I were like the closest friends or anything like that, but like I looked up to Nick a lot and I liked Nick a lot. I thought he was a character and um, loved his band, loved 
you know, some of the shows he booked and the bands um, that he put out, the records he put out. Um, yeah, you know, I wish we would have played more shows with no time left, but uh, it was fun, the ones that we did for sure. And now I'm looking at a list of, I'm looking back at the list of shows and another band that I've been kind of thinking in the back of my head of, because I remember you having like a really impassioned speech about them at a show one time, Dan, there, there's a nine day, like nine or 10 day tour here. You guys did in 2003, where you guys hit up Iowa at some point. Did you guys play with modern life as war there at all? Or did you guys like ever play any shows with them? Cause I remember when they were playing in bath at one point, uh, a show that I booked for you guys here, you like took the mic and you were like, you know, there's this, there's this band from Iowa playing here and everybody should go, you know, you were like really excited about them when, and for good reason. I mean, they're a good band. They're from like a really small town and it was crazy. Like a band like that coming from like Iowa, you know what I mean? So, um, but I guess getting back to the original question, like do you guys ever play with them at all? I guess they're Jeff, do you remember you had, you just shared the photos from the show we played at, at the FSU house. Do you remember if we, if modern life is War played that one, Jeff? Um, so no, they didn't, they didn't play that show, but, um, they were, I don't believe bad business ever played with modern life is war, but, um, disaster was, we were very good friends with that band, um, during that time. And so disaster definitely played a bunch of dates with modern life is war. And, um, you know, all of those guys were, were just, uh, you know, again, cause so much of this is, is actually, uh, bonded through friendship, you know? And so you play with these bands and you would become friends with the people in the band. Um, and because we're all, you know, no matter where you'd go to all these places, you would share these, just these same experiences and these same sort of upbringings, these stories and, and bonding was, was really easy, especially when you're all like playing this music together and just like screaming and thrashing in basements and stuff. It was just like, you know, it's, it's like gasoline, you know, just people, you know, people were just, um, really passionate about it. So, um, you know, so we, we knew them and we knew we had played shows at their house in, in Iowa. And so this place is just an epic place. It is like, it's, it's like a place of legend where basically they had this garage that was like a, you know, like a two stall garage that they, they didn't use as a garage. It was their show space and practice space. Right. But what they had done was they went around and got like, 50 mattresses and just lined this place with mattresses you know and i don't even want to think about now what would might have been in those mattresses or anything i mean it was just like these are things you don't think about when you're like 20 um but you know basically what would happen is bands would go in they would you know play set up to play the show it's all on the floor in the front and as soon as the first band started playing the first note, the first hit, all of the mattresses would just come off the wall and it would turn this room into a giant bouncy room. So imagine bands playing just like, you know, just thrashing hard and then people just like on trampolines in front of you. Uh, it was just pure chaos, like pure and total chaos. And so we had experienced that with the disaster. We had, played in iowa and i think some of those were with modern life is war it might it, maybe even not um we might have never played with them actually there but we had played that space um before and so we were able to basically get a show there and but we ended up playing with like my revenge 
you know, who is just, you know, again, like we were friends with these people um, and, you know, we loved them and their band and everything. So, you know, we just got into that room and it was just pure pandemonium in total chaos. And I can share the photos with you, Josh, if you want to see them, but you, you'll get a sense for just like how insane it was. So, yeah. So again, like a lot of this happened just through the friendships and the people that we knew, um, you know, even if it wasn't, um, you know, like we didn't meet modern life as war, but like we had these different, different associations with them. Now, Scrolling through, I see a, a couple Midwest tours and one like run down to Florida. I don't know if you guys want to go go around. Uh, Jeff kind of just shared something really cool there. If you guys want to like mention other cool like places you guys played or like fond memories of of these tours, uh, we can start. You know, Dan, and work our way over to the Brandon type thing. Yeah, I guess I'll I'll share my funnest and most favorite is it was on the second tour we went down to Florida. And we played in Daytona Beach on March 3rd, 2000, or March 2nd, 2004. And um, this guy, Billy, who booked, um, was it This Is For You? Was that what it was called? Um, hardcore Festival in Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, this was not that fest, but he booked us at a, at a coffee shop. And, um, and it's a fun, fun show. There's like 50 kids there. We, we have a blast. And then after the show, he's like, hey, we're going to Denny's. Um, do you want to go? And I didn't really like hanging out after the shows. I was like a crotchety 20-year-old old man. And I just like wanted to go to bed. And I was like, whatever. I don't really want to do this. And he's like, no, it'll be fun. And I was like, okay, fine. So we go to the Denny's parking lot. And all 50 kids who are at the show are now in the Denny's parking lot. And he's like, this is yelling corner. And I'm like, what does yelling corner mean? And he goes, watch this. And so all the kids go to the corner of Route 1, like the main drag in Daytona Beach. And it's also, it's spring break. So it's, uh, it's spring 2004. So this is Daytona Bike Week. So all these people are on gigantic motorcycles, like going up and down Route 1. And so they go to the light. They like press the crosswalk button a million times to stop the light. And then they start going, Rum, 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 rum. do a wheelie race the bus um and eventually this couple pulls up on a big harley and they're going rum, 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 do a wheelie and the it's a couple guy driving and a woman on the back um the woman flashes us and as she's flashing us the light turns green and the guy guns it and does a wheelie and flips the motorcycle over and it lands on top of both of them. And this is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. I think I have seen two human beings die on the pavement in front of my eyes. I think they die. Like I have that um, adrenaline urge, like you just saw something horrific happen. And so we kind of like walk over to like help get the bike off of them. The woman immediately comes to her feet and flashes us again. And all of a sudden, it's just pure relief. It's like, oh, my God, thank God you're okay. And the guy gets up, and we get the fuck out of there. Then they're like, let's go to the grocery store and get some dish soap. And I'm like, okay. So they get two bottles of dish soap. They cut them in half. And this is Route 1, again, in Daytona Beach, Florida. So there's all these big hotels with big water fountains on front. 
and they throw the um, soap into the water fountain and it turns the water fountain. You can't even see it anymore. It's just pure suds and bubbles. And the kids are jumping in the fountains and like, it's like a, it's like a, one of these like Miami beach foam parties. And it, it was just so much fun. Like I was on tour with my three best friends. I'm so fucking far away from home. Um, it's, it's, it's Florida in spring. We left Rochester where it's like fucking cold as shit. And now it's like warm and amazing. And we just played this awesome show. And that was so fun. And the coolest thing is like, I'm telling this story and I've been telling this story for 20 years. And in my head, I'm like, am I exaggerating? Am I dialing this story up? Does it get crazier every time I tell? And then thank God, Jeff has photos of this that he shared with us this week. And the photos totally like corroborate. You see the fountain and you see people disappearing in the fountain. And I just remember thinking like, this is what I did on my break from college. Like we had a one week break and we played 10 shows in a week down to Florida and back. And it was the most fun I'd ever had in my life. It was the seven inch. Actually, I don't know if the seven inch was out then, but it was just so much fun. And people cared about our band and were booking us thousands of miles from home. And it just felt so fun. And I was so glad to be doing it with Jeff and Sean and Brandon. Jeff, you have any other, any other places you want to share in your memory bank? Well, um, you know, if you want, like I, like Dan said, like I I recently just found these photos that I had of some of these shows and stuff. And if you want, I'll share them with you too. Um, Just sort of links to these albums. So you can sort of get an idea and, and it's probably fine just to, share them in show notes or whatever if that's a thing you do um but uh but yeah i don't know if uh, i mean there are there are definitely other memories and i don't know if, if sean or brandon want to talk about anything like burlington or you know just like other random weird places that we went to um but yeah we is you know the little tours that we did were just like so much fun like st louis stands out to me you know even chicago a little bit you know so there's there's plenty in there <laughs> dude that that Florida show that was just like one of the best times that I remember from, from touring. It's funny now that Dan says how he doesn't like to stay up after the show. Like now I remember why. I feel like I remember all the nonsense after the show because like I like to you know be in the mix and see what trouble can be had somewhat. But uh, and Dan's like a good boy who wants to like go to bed, so that's why he can actually remember the shows. Whereas like during the show, my brain is like somewhere else like i'm like having like an out-of-body experience or something but then after the show when there's like some like light troublemaking to be had like like count me in you know so like i think about i think about like the best times on tour were like definitely florida doing all that craziness over there i think about uh vermont going there because we had this idea like oh it's vermont it's brown to vermont it's a college town everyone's like hippie and happy and having a good time so we'll go there with no plan of where we'll stay and I'm sure someone will just let us crash at their place because that just seems like the Rochester thing. Like, if like I don't know, I lived John 25. There'd always be some band on our floor or something like that, you know. So um, we go to we go to Burlington. We play the show, and I think the only kids that could like really let us stay at their house, like, lived super far away, and we kind of wanted to be in the mix a little bit more. And we're like, ah, we'll see what we can find. So we get there, and it's like actually the week after school is let out. So it turns out there's like no one around like there's not really like college parties going on or like anybody like around in the city itself so we're like shit so at one point i think we floated the idea of staying at like a 
at a YMCA, like as if that's a real thing from the song. And um, turns out it's not. So we figured that out. So then we decide we're going to go like to that, like to the main street area and just kind of see like what we can figure out. So I think Jeff had a marker and we found like some cardboard somewhere and he just writes on the sign, like touring band needs a place to crash four dudes one night, which in hindsight sounds so sketch, <laughs> which maybe is what makes it fun. So, uh, we make the sign and we're seriously just standing on the corner like a bunch of bums, like trying to panhandle a place to stay. And like people are coming up to us and just laughing at us and stuff, which was probably the right thing for them to do. And uh, it was just so crazy. And then like eventually this, I think it was like a dude and some girl were like, they had like a frat house kind of situation. Like the, most of the frat people had like left, but they were still like kind of kicking around there and maybe a couple other people. So we end up going there. And Dan, in typical fashion, found like a super weird little hovel to like crawl into and create like his uh, sensory deprivation chamber. <laughs> so he has like head, he has like earplugs in and he's like under a pool table, all like weird and huddled up. And that's like where we slept is on the floor of this, uh, this frat house. So it was a good time. It's like beer cans and stuff all over the place, a big old mess. But that was a good, that was a good memory of tour. There's so many. If this could go on and on forever, and some probably should not be mentioned. <laughs> John, do you have That's any? Some of, that? some of my, uh, you know, memories or the things that I carried with me for so long. You know, my trajectory was sort of like, like I'm from a rural place in New Hampshire, the woods, and then my sort of introduction into live music and 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 scene situation would be like Boston, Massachusetts area, bigger city, and then coming to Rochester, where it's a little bit smaller and more intimate. <clears throat> and then we when we would go on tour, we would go to these places like Manitowoc, Wisconsin and Traverse City and like some, some little town on the top of a mountain in West Virginia. And we would go to these little places where like bands don't go. Like we were lucky in Rochester and, and in Boston and all, Syracuse, we were lucky in these places where bands would come through. A, a band from Europe could come through and we could see them big bands uh, would come through and, and getting to go to these small towns where we're playing in, in a bar. And there's like, you know, teenagers just like ripping cigarettes in the bar. Uh, and, and, and we are, we are the, like the enter, like the band that comes through town this month or something. And, and just so many people coming out of all different, uh you know inclinations and musical interests and stuff and everyone would just go totally bonkers and uh and i found that to be so so uh moving and powerful uh and and i mean i i i loved uh and still do like i love meeting new people i love traveling i love seeing a new city i love eating you know it was great to be in the in the van with uh, a bunch of other vegans so we would be like okay where's our where's our good spot mm. Uh, and so, and so getting to sort of, uh, and sometimes that spot is like the local hospital cause they have vegan food and, and, and these different things. And, uh, and then sort of those, those really beautiful, uh, small town moments. Uh, and then some of the, uh, biggest sort of memories for me also include, uh, like we played a big festival in Chicago once, uh, in like a gigantic, uh, performance hall church space which was pretty insane i mean that you know i like i like the basement i like the tight 
space that's like the ceiling's so low. I'm six five. Like the ceiling is so low. I'm trying to jump as high as I can and crunch up in the space. Just get those big leaps, but in such a small space, and then get getting to be in uh, a, this gigantic place. Or the um, I was looking at later on in our list when uh, we played at the uh, ICC um, outside of Boston with uh, Bane and Suicide File and and that was a whole nother level of sort of like, uh, I don't know, something else for me, like coming back into that space from the stage perspective and uh, the sharing of, of, of what we work on and how we are uh, sharing that in that space um, felt uh, like a, a, a cycle completed in, in a beautiful way. So yeah, just making all sorts of friends, meeting all sorts of people. I was also doing a, a lot of like art on the roads, like Jeff's photos that he shared recently. There was like, uh, you know, I'd make these drawings for people who, you know, sell drawings in there. And, and someone was like, oh, could you draw on my hat? And I was like, oh, hell yeah. And I like drew this like beautiful crane on their hat. And, uh, and you know, getting to, getting to kind of share all of my interests and meet new people and, and, and give them something in our performance and uh and then just receiving kind of positive affirmation felt uh like something i'd never gotten before uh a, a, an amazing way to share my interests and gifts and uh i'm so 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 incredibly grateful for everyone who uh, took the time to watch us and listen to us and and let alone like support us by buying our music but listening to it enjoying it and it all is uh beyond uh, amazing and incredible kind of sticking with the diy theme i'm guessing that you guys booked most of these shows like in other cities you, yourself like there weren't like were other bands like like taking you guys out for like weekends or anything or was it always just kind of you guys booking yourselves i know we hopped on like one disaster weekend um and then the tours, i just remember us kind of like using the four of us like just putting our heads together probably leaning on Jeff a lot because he, Jeff, Jeff is the one who has like done this before he'd been in the disaster, been in head on, he'd been in set in motion. He'd, he'd knew the, he'd done this and none of us, at least I didn't, I hadn't written songs, I hadn't recorded songs. I hadn't gone on tour. And so I think we just leaned on that network. Um, like people, Jeff knew people, John knew people like, Hey, I don't know. We, we just reach out. Hey, we need a show in, um, somewhere and somebody would come through i remember i think the manitowoc wisconsin show we didn't have a show that night and brandon somehow saw on a message board that there was a show and like called them and said can we play and they said yes and then we showed up and played um so some of it was pretty like chaotic and random um but i don't i don't really remember us doing weekends with any bands i know we wanted to I know we wanted the last tour we did, we were supposed to do with Tamaroff. Um, that was probably the, like the closest thing I can think of to a band that would have been like a brother or sister band was them, but they couldn't do that tour, So we just did it on our own. Now, now looking from, from 2004 to, to 2005, the band kind of slows down a little bit. Was, was that by design or were you, or do you guys just have other stuff going on? Like, I know you guys all kind of graduated college, like were people starting to move away at this point or. I don't know who yeah, wants to take that. Rochester yeah. and uh and moved to Providence, Rhode Island, and uh and then later New York. And 
Uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was uh, that was basically the dispersal was 2004. Like, like I graduated a little bit early, like a trimester early, and I moved down to Baltimore, you know, around that time. Um, and so, but all these bands, you know, I think Disaster broke up before that, but like, you know, but Hide and Bad Business, and and even like some other little mini projects that were happening at that time, like. It sort of just went on, you know, like, like again, because it was just like, we, we didn't really see any reason to stop it. Even distance, like wasn't going to like end it um, until it really became clear, like, oh yeah, we can't really continue like this. Um, didn't make any sense. Um, so like, you know, I had been, you know, I only lived in Baltimore for a year, but after that I moved to Georgia and like I had to come up from Georgia to play the last show for bad business. You know, I was like very far away. Um, so yeah, just uh, sort of people dispersing. Now, now before we talk about the last show, uh, I didn't realize that your second to last show had been in, in the show that John was referencing there in Boston or Boston area with Bane and suicide file. How did that all come about? That had to have been a pretty crazy show. Yeah, we, we have had a series of, fortunes that fell into our lap um i guess i can talk to this one through through some random events aaron bedard was living in baltimore and he ended up moving into the house i was living in for like two years um around the time that Payne was like recording and putting out the note um so aaron was my roommate and we would play poker and backgammon and stuff and bad business was still a band and I, this was like one of the the note record release shows um and so he asked us to play and so we came up and played this one-off show and like pretty sure jeff is in savannah at the time i'm in baltimore sean is probably in new york or providence and i think brandon's in rochester probably um and so it's just like good fortune i guess um and like the reason I bring up the good fortune thing is I don't want to toot our own horn. We were on the cover of maximum rock and roll because this guy, Josh Lyon or Josh Stein that we went to RIT with, he moved to San Francisco and started volunteering at MRR and Gilman. And I think he just said, you guys get the cover in November. Um, have someone interview you and send it in. So we had Nick Barron interview us. And then again, just by like a random connection, we were on the cover of Maximum Rock and Roll. And again, when I think back 20 years, like MRR is a fucking institution and our like little band with my friends was on the cover of it. It's something that I'm blown away by. Um, And again, just feel very cool by any hardcore kid or punk kid that's like our age knows what MRR is. And the fact that we were on it in it um uh it's just so cool to me i feel so lucky yeah the mrr thing was definitely something i had meant to ask you guys about because i was always blown away by that too and, and that was there was a couple of years there where i wasn't as active and hardcore and i and i remember just kind of seeing the, the issue and being like holy shit you know and, and i don't think i ever actually asked you guys about it so it's cool to know the, the details behind it i guess and definitely a classic picture of uh sean on the cover so pretty uh pretty sweet um now i guess kind of digging into the last show a little bit um how how like jeff kind of laid the groundwork there like saying that you guys knew with the everybody kind of already being spread out that there wasn't really a way to keep doing this like 
how far in advance did you guys kind of start deciding you were going to like book this last show? Anyway, I uh, have, I have no memories of how this came to be. I just, I think the writing was on the wall. We were like four people in four different cities and we hadn't played a show in a year or I don't know how long when we decided it, but I think it was just like, this isn't, we're not going to do, we're not going to be the band that we were. Um, we live in four different places. The band was awesome because there was a period where three of us were like living in the same apartment for a little while, or we were all in the same city. And I think it just became important to, at least for me, to like play with our best friends, to play with Tamaroff, to play with No Time Left, how we are, Gak Attack, I think with some folks Brandon knew. Um, and just play in Rochester one last time with our, our best friends. Yeah, it was a really good last show. Anybody have any uh, fond memories of that or any, any other shows that we didn't talk about, I guess? Uh, I was just so sad uh, for it to end. Uh, I mean, I, I had, this was again, my first, my first ever band, my first ever band breakup, my first ever band dissolution. So I, I didn't know. I was just like, oh, let's be in a band. I mean, the Rolling Stones have been a band for a thousand years. Like, we'll just be a band forever. And just like, when we get together, we'll get together. And, uh, but it also, you know, I had been to enough last band shows to know like, oh yeah, these things are like sort of cathartic, culminative, uh, really emotional moments. And so sharing that too also did feel very important as well. Like what Dan is saying, like wanting to kind of like go out on a high note in, in sort of, uh, in, in, in strong fashion. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it was, I just remember it being, uh, really, really emotional and, and probably not having the, uh, language or the tools to sort of, uh, uh, process that, uh, emotionality in the moment. Uh, and, but again, that was sort of a, a beautiful thing about these hardcore shows is that, everyone's kind of like feeling a lot of things and and it is in the moment uh is what really matters there was much less like documentation nobody again had smartphones the, you know the thing that you do or say on stage is probably not going to live on in perpetuity uh and so uh there was like some gentleness and forgiveness there uh in that and i, I just remember it being so uh emotional uh for me personally I think I think Sean brings up a really good point though about documentation, and obviously that's a big part of the reason why I started doing this podcast. And kind of talking to Dan before doing the interview, I was blown away that he kept as much as he did. Like a lot of people that played in bands, they didn't keep a lot of stuff. And even me, like I booked, I, I'd say I booked probably over a hundred shows. I have no idea how many, but I don't have all the flyers. And there's and there's very little video that I've found of all these shows. You know what I mean? Like and. It's just like now we're more of an era where people want to document things for probably more like dumb reasons. You know what I mean? But I, it's kind of cool. That at least things are being documented more now. Like I wish that we had more um, like we do have like good records and, and a lot of things to look back on. But there's not sometimes there's sometimes I think things get lost and sometimes I'll see a flyer. and be like, oh, man, I've been looking all over for that. You know what I mean? So um, and then. I guess one other like bad business related question for like the last shows and stuff. Like, I mean, I think it's probably self-explanatory. Like Ruiner probably asked you guys, is that how the, the reunion came up the, the year after the, the last show? Yeah. My memory is I'm living in Baltimore. I, yeah. I think Jeff is gone at that point. Isn't 
Savannah and um, Rob and Steve, Rob um, Sullivan and Steve Smeal were like big fans of our band. We played at the Broasis where they both lived um, for Rob's like 25th birthday or something. Uh, and they were big fans of our band. And when they were putting out, um, I think it's prepared to be let down. Um, I think they were like, would you guys be willing to play again? And like, none of us wanted the band to end. Um, if we could have like recorded an LP or toured Europe, like I would have done a cartwheel to make that happen. But, um, I know at least me, like I had a job, like I was a software engineer working like nine to five and, um, like traveling to play a sh like a Sunday night show in Rochester to drive back to Baltimore at leaving at midnight, they arrive in Baltimore at 6am to go to work at 8am. That like that life I kind of had lost interest in, um, but if somebody says, hey, do you want to come play a big show that's like our record release show and it's going to be really fun and all your friends are going to be there, then fuck yeah, I want to do that. And I remember that show, like everybody stayed at my place in Baltimore and we kind of had like a little bit of a party. I remember John Caution came from Chicago and just being like, we always loved Caution. Caution was such a fucking goofball, fun character. And that he came out for that was like so touching to me. and. um and that we were even just asked that, like, honestly, that anybody like even remembers our band and like, that you, you want to do this podcast with us or Greg um, Benoit puts our flyer up and says like, he liked going and seeing this bad business show. I'm just like touched and blown away um, to think that anybody would think of like me and my bands in the way that I think of Suicide File and Bane and American Nightmare and Battery and all those bands. Um, that's like so touching and special to me. Um, and so it was, I, yeah, I just remember being stoked that they asked us and it was really fun. And there's a video of that one. But yeah, I guess that that's pretty much the topics that I had. Is there, I, I guess going around like this is, this is probably the, the most important episode I'll ever ask this question or bring this up. A lot of times when I do interviews with people, I get a text message, sometimes five minutes later, Sometimes a day later, but it's, it's, it's not every time either, but it's sometimes, man, I wish I would have brought this up or man, I wish we talked about this. This is definitely the interview where I don't want like that to happen. So if there's anything you guys want to go around and think about, like anything we missed or anything that's important on like the legacy of bad business, I guess now is the time to really kind of share that stuff. I guess, well, there are a couple of things that, that I think would be worthwhile to share, but you know, I'll, I'll sort of like. You know, I think we all are just sort of straightforward where your, you know, your sort of emotions and, and thoughts on your sleeve kind of people, um, you know, so I'll take this time just to like, say that, you know, even though, you know, we haven't been in really close contact, um, you know, I think it's worth mentioning just like how truly important um, this friendship and this band was to me. And I just want to take just a minute to individually say to, to, each person in this band like what you guys like meant to me and just like how how formative that was for me just as a person uh not just musically or whatever but like you know dan like dan was you know said 
kind things about me. And I really appreciate that because, you know, cause I, at the same time admired Dan, because like, I think he was truly a driving force behind this band and this initiative. Like I felt it from the very second that he even proposed the idea to me. Um, and that, and that stayed true. Like Dan was like, you know, the fact that he has this list of all the shows he played and he kept like a blog, you know what I mean? Like it, it is like, you know, he was the bad business archivist you know before the band even ended you know and that and i think that just goes to show like the kind of person that dan is um and so his drive and passion for this was was really uh you know just inspirational and just like and i think kept a lot of us afloat you know through like you know what was just like a chaotic and crazy time you know and so brandon you know so uh, brandon and i definitely were able to get close because our freshman year of college uh you know i was living in gleason hall which is one of the high rises and uh brandon was living in baker hall which is right next door but uh, um but halfway through the year his roommate just left college he dropped out or whatever so i had this opportunity to leave you know wherever i was living and move in with brandon um and and that was just like the best it made like my freshman year of college just like epically better because you know brandon if you if you have the the pleasure of knowing him like he's just hilarious and so creative and just like excellent taste in music like i was exposed to so much through him um and you know and and got to like go back you know and just like see where he grew up i went to New bedford with him it was amazing like i just like i can't say enough like good things about that um and then to get to 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 see all of that roll itself into a band um, was just like, you know, like witnessing magic, you know. And and with Sean, like I didn't know Sean as well, um, you know, as Dan and Brandon, but you know, we were all part of this friend group, and I was so glad to be in a band with Sean because, you know, he again is just like such a creative person, super talented, excellent, like. You know amazing photography and just like good you know taste in things like art and music and stuff and so to get to spend that much time with him um you know and and again just another hilarious person like you know it it, it is like you couldn't ask for just a better group of people to you know to get to know and to make art with um and that's like what it all like really came down to um so like honestly just like um I'm I'm in awe of all of you and super thankful and appreciative that this happened and we did it. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel lucky to have been able to be in a band with people that are good friends, you know, like it, it definitely I, when they're all talking about when we've been talking about things, you know, that people the band, I'm like, damn, what the hell did I do? I feel like kind of a piece of garbage, like Dan's drawing things, Jeff's drawing things, Sean's drawing things. And I'm like, but I don't know, I guess I was just like making music and writing music and making weird sounds. That's kind of my thing, I guess. Um, and so I don't know. I feel lucky that these guys were, were there for this. And, uh, you know, I, I love how much documentation Dan has of this. That's, that's so Dan. He's definitely like the analytical, the analytical guy of the group. And then uh, it's just funny. I'm not even remotely surprised he has all that stuff. That's so Dan. And uh, I don't know. I just feel like it, we were a good, like a good combination of ingredients to come together. Like, you know, 
Like I feel like Jeff and Dan were like more like straightforward, like organized people. And then you had like Sean and I who were like crazy and weird. So it like kind of brought it all together in like a good way where it's like, we just had good combinations of things and then we're friends. So it just always worked out well, you know? So I don't know. I do. I just, I do feel lucky that this band existed and like 100% some of the best memories, like seeing the photos and stuff that just been sending is like incredible to like rethink about those times. Cause like I said, I don't know, like my brain was like in another world, like you'd think I was on drugs, but I wasn't at the time. Cause like, there's just shit I can't remember. But I can remember like crazy stuff. Like the dude in Virginia beach was like doing that thing where you like stick the knife through your fingers really fast until he stabbed himself. And then he just kept doing it over and over again. So then we slept in the van instead of in their house. Like, I remember that stuff or like the dudes in Memphis who like threw a tampon, another dude, and then it went into like some guy's beer. And then that got thrown across the room. And then we thought we were going to get fought in Memphis. Like that's the stuff I always remember. Um, just like good times with my buddies, you know, and being in that van and talking copious amounts of nonsense. So that's just like, who could ask for a better time with friends, you know? Yeah, I think that uh, notion about uh, all of us bringing a, a like diversity of perspectives and sort of like coming from different places and having sort of like different musical lineages. I mean, I have a very checkered past, uh, very into ska. Uh, and and many other things like that uh and uh and then uh really i mean brandon bringing so much depth of musical knowledge and and soulfulness and uh like uh yeah just so much joy uh into into uh our our world and our sphere in that way and uh and and how all of these things coming together in this specific moment, in this specific place, in this time to like blossom and flourish in this way uh, was really, uh, you know, uh, I wish everyone could feel that at some point in their lives. Uh, and, and the fact that, you know, I, I've participated in other musical projects where, uh, you know, there is like the songwriter and like songs by X and, and, and it's sort of, there's like a backup band sort of situation or just like different, different ways of organizing uh, a, a project like this. And, and I feel really, really blessed to have the sort of like punk DIY, like, okay, we all go in the room, the music comes out. It would not exist if Jeff wasn't there. It would not be the same if Dan wasn't there. It absolutely would not be the same if Brandon wasn't there. It wouldn't be the same if I wasn't there. And uh, and sort of like that beautiful nexus of of, of diversity and vi variation and interests and and things uh, really made it really special. Um, I feel and 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 now, you know, looking back, yeah, like looking back twenty years, thinking about where things are now, you know, in terms of uh, you know existing in a in a pandemic, but also just like the shifting of culture away from uh you know i i can't really speak too much I mean, people are still in bands people are still making music people still go on tour and things but uh but just um to to have the the courage and the strength to like follow your creative spirit wherever it goes uh and and i think a lot about how to encourage young people now into 
like, oh, you know, could you try it like this? Like, how do you book a tour? Like someone turns to us and is like, how do you book a tour by yourself? Like, I don't even understand that. And you're like, I don't know. Here's like some steps. And like, I don't know. Who do you know? How do you do it? You just try problem solving and figuring it out. And so I think a lot about how to encourage uh, that kind of uh, capacity in young people nowadays. And not in any kind of formal way, but simply, uh, yeah, how to impart the lessons that we learn in that time uh, to encourage a new generation in their creative pursuits. Uh, yeah, just, I think about that a little bit at this point in my life. I think everybody's like hit on all the notes that were important to me. Um, I think our band wouldn't have existed if it weren't the four of us, um, each bringing our own thing to the table. And I, I like took that for granted. I thought all bands were people that were like their four best friends, you know, four best friends that like, everything was collective. It wasn't until you realized that like the shins is really just James Mercer. He it's him and everyone else is like a transient player. Um, and that like people are replaceable. Like that never was a thing with, if any one of us, like, and that's kind of why we broke up. We like all moved away and it wasn't like we were going to replace somebody that wasn't an option. And I just took that for granted. I assume that's how bands work. I didn't, realize that other bands there's one person that's the songwriter um and so that just felt really cool welcoming it felt like all ideas were on the table at all times and that was awesome and i don't really know why i'm going to tell this story to end it but like since we're leaving space to like tell last tour stories i'll tell the one about us playing in indianapolis indiana um it's a house show and at the end of the show, the people from the like neighborhood start boxing each other, and it's nighttime. And Sean has his camera and would like be taking photos on tour and stuff. So he goes to take a photo of them um, while they're boxing each other, like for real boxing. And it's night, and so he's got his flash, and he takes a photo, and the flash like kind of blinds one of the guys, so the other one has time to like hit him, and like knocks this dude out. And when he comes to, he's like, "Who the fuck did that? Who the fuck did that? Who the fuck did that?" All of a sudden, it, it just becomes chaos, maximum chaos. Like we need to get the fuck out of here. So we all load up in the van. And our next show was in Louisville. We had like made friends with the Patterson brothers that were in Breed Resist and Black Cross, Black Widows. So we drive down there and this was after the show and they didn't know we were coming and we don't have cell phones. We don't have any way to get a hold of them. And so we just show up at like three in the morning and like we didn't feel like it was appropriate. We, I looked up to them so much. I was not going to knock on their door at 3 a.m. And, and ask to let us in. So we slept in our sleeping bags, like in their front lawn. And I guess the point of the story that, I, that made me think about that is like Ryan is like still somebody that I text regularly. His, his new band, Photo Crime, was in Oakland um, like two months ago and I went and saw them. And I know for a, I don't keep in touch with everybody as much, but there are definitely people from across this time frame. John Caution, Ryan Patterson. Um, there's tons of other folks too that like I only know because we cross paths um, in this band, and 
Anton from Chicago. Anton, yeah. I'm and 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 um the fact that we can like that I'm still in touch with them or that we can connect again like we are with you today, Josh, and like reminisce about these times that just felt so um energetic and kinetic and so much energy and creativity and excitement. Um and just be reminded of that is really special to me. It's really fun. So I'm so, it's so exciting to do, um, to listen to the podcast that you're doing, Josh. Um, it definitely takes me down memory lane. And if our band or I ever get mentioned, I'm like so flattered and I'm like blushing that anybody ever thinks about me or my band 20 years later. Um, and so thanks for doing this and thanks for bringing us together. It's been so great to talk to Jeff and Sean and Brandon and um and I'm so happy that you that you asked us to do this Josh yeah and and Josh I'd just like to you know I didn't want to leave you out of my sort of like you know round of thanks you know and everything um and I and I hope I hope you'll just forgive me because again you just you told you you said it Josh uh if there's anything we want to like talk about get off our chest you know yeah, we should probably do it you know and I don't do podcasts I'm not really like talking you know on a lot of things and so you know, I, I would like to just, uh, I guess, maybe send a little love letter just to, you know, you and the Rochester people, you know, um, because um, it was special. Like, I've heard a lot of people talk just about that time and that sort of Syracuse, Buffalo, Rochester connection and sort of just what was happening and, and the vibe and, and everything. And it was, it was unique because, you know, like many people have said, you'd go other places and you'd see how it was in other places. And it wasn't like that. Um, and so I knew early on how special it was. Um, and the other part of it is I'm from Syracuse. So I grew up in a scene that was wildly different than what we experienced. And I firsthand personally experienced like that, um, Sort of that trope of Syracuse hardcore violence. Um, and I guess I'll just talk about that a little bit right now because it was, you know, crazy. And it might have been a thing that, you know, would have knocked me straight out of this entire scene or anything, you know, were it not for the people that I knew and just my passion for music and, you know, and that stuff. But like, you know, as everyone knows, like back then, like Syracuse had this reputation for, you know, sort of like tough guy hardcore and stuff. And so we were all like, going to earth crisis shows and you know and there was like this whole scene of um you know sort of of just people who who wanted to you know dance hard and act hard and and all that stuff and um and the reality of it is is so much of it was just um posturing and you know and people wanting to act tough you know um but some people were actually very violent and stuff and so you know, I had some friends, I was, I was so young, I was, you know, probably like, you know, 15, 16 years old. And me and some of my friends had been going to these shows. Um, and, you know, one of my friends was very new to hardcore, and he had actually been in the hip hop community before. Um, and so he was really into, you know, tagging, bombing, graffiti and stuff like that. And there were other people in the hardcore scene at that time who were also into that. And it was just like, the dumbest thing in the world where he started going to shows and throwing up you know, those like, hello, my name is tags. And you put your tag on there and stuff like that. He started throwing those up around shows and stuff. And I guess he must've like put something over another guy's, you know, tag or something like that. 
and you know and it could have ended as as easily as you know them like talking it out and another guy being like oh sorry but you know we're young and stupid and like this escalated this like got to the place where um you know we were just hanging out one night in this like coffee shop you know that all these hardcore kids would go to up on the Yasu Hill called Zopies. And, you know, it was literally underground. Like it was in the basement of this like place. And I remember going into there with like these, these kids that I knew at the time. And this dude was in there with his buddies. Uh, and just like, we were like, Oh, this all of a sudden, like it got very cold in that room. Um, so we were like, we're just going to leave. Um, Cause they're just sending the, the worst vibes their way. So we just like ran out the back. And the next thing you know is this dude just comes around the corner, just ready to fight, just yelling, you know, ready to, to pummel my friend in the ground. And, you know, and it was funny. This is one of the moments where I was like, I wonder if these guys have actually been in a fight because he took the most comically large swing at my friend, you know, like, like uh, super or whatever, Nintendo punch out level of just ridiculousness uh and my friend just ducked you know and uh and you know ran around he just chased him until you know this is su campus so like police were there almost immediately because someone had ran to go get them and so we thought like oh my god like we just need to get out of here so they're like talking to this dude and we're just booking it we're just heading towards su just going to the school and uh out of nowhere one of his friends came up and just cracked my friend on the head with a skateboard, just with the truck of a skateboard. And these two other guys came out of nowhere and they just pummeled him. I mean, this happened in like 15, 30 seconds, you know, before we could even really understand what was going on um, because there was a cop right there. So they didn't, they didn't waste any time. Uh, my friend went to the hospital and, you know, he had to get his head stitched up and he was like, you know, he, he was out of it. And like that for him, he was done. He left, like, you know, he wasn't even that deep into hardcore at that time. And I remember at that, like, just being so terrified at that. Um, and I'm not here to, like, name names or anything, because um, even weirder, uh, one of my friends who was with me that night um, actually found the guy who did this, um, you know, on Facebook. I'll tell that later. But, um, but basically, you know, you know, I didn't go to shows for a while because I was just terrified, like of all that stuff and that, you know, that stuff. But then what I realized is that these guys, um, they basically went underground too, because, um, you know, I think they had had run-ins with the police as well. And someone named names wasn't us and they knew the police were looking for them. So like they basically stopped going to shows. So after a little while, like I realized, and again, like this had nothing to do with me. It wasn't about me. They probably didn't even know my name. So it was like, you realize like, yeah, like who cares, you know, and, and I didn't want to give up this thing that I love this, you know, scene, you know, but, um, but that's, that was the reality of the Syracuse hardcore scene for some people and for a lot of people. And, um, you know, like I said, I had a friend who actually contacted that guy because he just found him randomly on Facebook years later and just sort of like, you know, not directly brought it up, but eventually like sort of through a conversation brought it up. And the guy was like immediately apologetic. Uh, and he was just like, you know, you know, he's like, I had problems, <laughs> obviously. Like, he's like, I had serious issues. And, um, uh, you know, I obviously didn't handle it well. And, 
you know, and, and, and it was clear, like he had, he had mental health problems and, you know, and just other, other things, you know? And so you don't know like what's going on with people. It doesn't excuse violence, but, um, but at the same time, like we're all just like kids and, and it was wild. And so that's, that was what I was coming from, like this really sort of like kind of scary place. Um, and then soon after that, um, you know, what I saw is the Syracuse scene sort of bifurcated um, because a lot of people didn't like that, um, even though it was dominant. And that's when you started seeing things happening with like the people I ended up collaborating with. So like, you know, Jim Heff and, and, and Grant and John Peters and these guys, like all these other people who'd been in the punk and hardcore scene at the periphery started coming together and sort of doing something new. And this is what I think really involved into like stuff with Hex. Um, you know, like they started doing these, just these shows, um, that, that was, that was like a much better vibe. Like, you know, people actually felt like they could come in, you know, come into this. And that's not saying anyone in the classic Syracuse hardcore scene wasn't welcoming because they were like, you know, John McKegg was always like very welcoming to everyone. And like, there were tons of really great people in that scene, but there were just people who weren't, you know? So this sort of new thing started happening. And that's when I was in set in motion, Bob, Bob Swift, you know, were just like, these guys were exactly like how I was. And so when I got to Rochester, I discovered that the people in Rochester were like that. And I was just so relieved that it was like that. And so what happened is you had this like under scene that happened. And so that's when, you know, people started seeing this Syracuse Rochester connection because we found each other, you know, and like, I was part of that. I was part of that migration that happened and brought it back. And, and I'm so thankful for that because it like sustained years of creativity and amazing shows and stuff. Um, and I feel like that's what ended up winning, you know, in terms of it, like there's still like really, you know, sort of posturing, you know, tough guy hardcore stuff going on, but, um, it's not like it was, um, and, and I feel like this sort of more DIY ethic of basement shows and people just trying to have fun and be creative um, happened. And it like really took off during that era. And I was like, and I'm, I'm so thankful for people like you, Josh, you know, for doing it, for doing shows, like booking that stuff, um, promoting it and just being really into it like that, like that makes it happen. And so like people like John 25 and, anyone who did these shows like you know in these different uh cities it was just like the mark that that leaves is is you know the footprint is huge and so thank you and you know thanks to everyone else who's you know doing their part to remember and archive and just like sort of keep that alive and then plowing that into the next generation of you know artists and creative people Appreciate all the, all the positive words there, Jeff. And one thing I do want to say before we wrap things up is I kind of mentioned on the Nate Goley episode that eventually I'll probably have an episode where I kind of talk about why I stepped away for a little bit from like 2004 to 2006. And one of those reasons was kind of what you're talking about from like 96, 97 era kind of reared its head back in. And we didn't really touch on that during this interview at all, but it was definitely like during a time when you guys were a band and I'm certain you guys wouldn't have played those kinds of shows, but like I've always kind of been into like a lot of the heavier stuff. And now like, I like a lot of the like more heavy type mosh stuff or whatever, but for, for a, a small period of time there in the early two thousands, like 2004 ish, it was getting 
like really violent. Like I, not, it never happened in any of my shows, but I was at shows in Buffalo, a couple in Syracuse where like kids were just getting beat up for like no reason at all, you know? And like in retrospect, obviously I feel kind of like, I wish I would have st- like stood up and said something like, or, or a bunch of us should have, you know, t- type thing. But it was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like a pussy, but some of these dudes are kind of big. You know what I mean? I wasn't trying to like get my hair pulled out at a show or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, and like, you're kind of referencing, like some of these dudes have come out of it. Like, okay. And it's weird to think back on some of these people that I'm friends with now having been like, like legit, like savages 20 years ago, you know, but that is honestly one of the main reasons why I was like, you know, I don't really want to book a lot of shows right now. Cause I didn't want to have like a fight on my hands. You know what I mean? So it was definitely prevalent and I'm got, like, but like, before we wrap up, I guess that is one quick question. Like that never like had any effect on any of your guys' shows, obviously, right? Like all the, the crew mentality and all that bullshit that was like around like 2004 era. Uh, not, not for us. We're just a bunch of weirdos. So no one bothers us. <laughs> yeah, there, no, was def- there was definitely that element as well in the Massachusetts scene for sure. Uh, and, uh, but again, yeah, I, there was a the removal that I felt was a, a nice buffer in that way where I was like, oh, yeah, like I'm like way outside that in my own sort of pacifist uh, piece is the way space. And and, uh, you know, it is we we talk about, again, like the, a lot of these, you know, the music and the the level of urgency and the emotions that are being churned up and the, the like sort of like embodied aggression that is a part of the thing that we did do uh, was happening. Um, there's like healthy way of exercising that and unhealthy way of exercising that. And I think that uh, looking back, I can see how we were doing about it and how we approached it and the intentions that we had um, felt like a very healthy way to process through those emotions and uh and and our shows though they were lively and moshing and jumping off tables and all all the thing like there was definitely like a camaraderie uh more of a camaraderie uh energy there than uh you know people doing donkey kicks on the edge of the stage and just like uh, trying to hurt people uh yeah and i felt very very glad i i think that i would have felt much more conflicted in that space had that been going on uh, at our shows, I would have been like, whoa, we're going to stop for a second and just like, I don't know, I, I didn't have the tools to know how to deal with that either, like what you're saying, but I, I know that it would have uh, soured it quite a bit for me. And I'm grateful that uh, we, like Jeff was saying, we found ourselves rooted into a a beautiful and nurturing scene that in the same way as our band would not have existed if the four of us were not in that basement practicing. Uh, it would not have existed if every single person around us was also not participating in that scene and in that music in some way. Like every single person in that room is essential and important and and vital. Uh, and and that's something I would also, again, uh, sh- share my gratitude for everyone that we were friends with and who were around us and who would come to see us. Yeah, so I guess kind of wrapping things up, um, I, I feel like we've kind of gone through, but if, if anybody has any other like closing comments or shout outs or anything like that, or I don't know if you guys are doing any current projects or anything like that. It doesn't really sound like it, but um, anything you guys want to plug or anything, now would be the time, I guess, before I do my little outro thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think maybe a fun thing to do would just like um, 
you know, just give some little shout outs to some bands that really from Rochester that really like meant a lot to us. Cause I know that we all talk about that a lot. And, um, you know, right, right now I, st- I still play music. I play, um, in difficult with, uh, Grant Johnson, Rachel Bass and, uh, John Davis, you know, from another breath. And, um, you know, we'd basically been playing together since I moved back to Syracuse, like, you know, like for a very long time. And it really is just like, it's the thing that scratches our itch. We're not in it to, to tour, do anything. It's just like, we want to fight. And so we released a, you know, like another full length, um, at the end of last year. So people can go and listen to that. It's on Spotify or whatever. Um, but, but that was, you know, um, yeah, that's, that's really just what I've been doing musically. And, um, you know in rochester was amazing like there's just so many bands that that you could name as just being like really inspirational um and influential but um but man i i remember i just just going through these memories and stuff i i gotta say like um you know i don't hear a lot of people talk about it a lot but but for me i was like always blown away by the avram this band that jimmy stat did with with uh tyler and matt Chalinor, like you know, the, the fact that they were this three piece, these like kids who were like in high school um, and just the level of musicianship and composition and everything. Like when I heard that, that full length they did into the minds, like um, I just like, I, I was, I was truly in awe, you know, and I was a bandmate with Jimmy, um, you know, sort of at this time. And so like, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, he was just great. And that band, I think, was just like a really great culmination of the sort of the sound and, and the feeling of, of Rochester at that time, just chaotic and creative um, and wonderful. So like, you know, if people are going back to like listen to stuff, like definitely listen to that full length that the Abraham did, because it was just, um, you know, it was one of the mo- more like impressive things I ever heard come out of a Rochester band. Yeah, you know, I just had Grant on episode 55, too, so I apologize for kind of forgetting about the current band that you guys are, are in together, Jeff. That's right. <laughs> um, anybody else want to go around with uh, closing comments and shout outs and stuff like that? Just Rochester's always been a good city. I feel like I came from a, like in New Bedford. I feel like it's a scene similar to Rochester, where it's like a bunch of friends always hanging out and doing stuff. Like, I didn't really go to a lot of shows in Boston because it just didn't care or something. But uh, I was always a South Coast guy, so I was in Rhode Island and New Bedford, and I always felt like people were just chill, so I guess that's why I just did that. But Rochester's always been that way, too, and just good people and just always good times, so it's nice to relive those. Yeah, building on what Jeff said, uh, Avram CD is definitely one that, from that era, I can revisit and still enjoy. The Tamaroff CD that Sean put out um, also, like, um, is so good. <laughs> Jimmy, I mean, I'm just called Jimmy. Jimmy's so fucking talented. Polar Bear Club, Avram, Tamaroff, um, Disaster. Like, the dude knows what he's doing. Um, so that would, yeah, I don't know. That's who I'd call it. Tamaroff it also is, is one that I think still stands up really, really well to me. Chris Brown's incredible guitar player. Anybody else have any, any other? Sean, you got closing comments? Are you? Yeah, just thank you so much, Josh, and and thank you to Brandon, Jeff, and Dan. Thank you for uh, blessing my life with this amazing experience. Thank you so much, and uh, and then blessings to your families, Josh. Congratulations to Dan, uh, your beautiful little baby, 
and uh, I just wish uh, lots of love and peace for you all and to everyone listening to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. And uh, I think that's going to wrap things up for this episode. And I want to echo what Sean just said. And I definitely want to thank Bad Business for blessing uh, the city of Rochester. Again, uh, we welcome them as transplants when they were here in college. And we welcome Brandon as a resident now. But uh, again, like I said in the beginning of the episode, my favorite Rochester hardcore band. So it was a pleasure to have them on here. Uh, as always, I want to give shout outs to Greg Benoit, Jim Labatz, and Rob Antonucci for all their help with the podcast. Thanks to all the Patreon subscribers helping keep things afloat. Um, as always, thanks to my family for the support, uh, especially with me doing one during the day today. Uh, make sure you give us a follow on social media. See everyone real soon and stay safe.